Welcome back, Ford Explorers. Before we get into this week's continuation episode, we want to let you know that we do have social media. We have Instagram. We have Twitter. We have a Patreon where you can get a subliminal shout-out. Most importantly, we have our hotline. Usually we tell you a story, but we want you to tell us a story. So text us or call us, leave us a voicemail on that, and enjoy this week's episode. See you guys. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Ask Cat Spirit Hour. Woo! I'm the Colonel. This is my son, Caleb, as you probably know by now. I want to say this at the top of the show because it's been a comment before. We do have chapters in these shows, so if you want to skip these little headlines we do before the main story, please do. There's definitely a little bookmark in the timeline and also in the description if you want to skip ahead. Now, that being said, Caleb, how was your week? Good. Uh, had some more spooky things happen at the bar. This is the Bar Ghost Report. If you are new to the show... Uh, he owns a haunted bar. I work at the haunted bar, and we take a couple minutes each week to let you know that place is fucking haunted. Yeah, it's, uh, well, it's weird to live in a place that's haunted. Like, we, you know, we do a show about these kind of mysteries. It's weird to own a place that's, like, actively more and more haunted every day. Yeah, so this week, uh, the lights, as usual, change in when I get to work. Uh, I think they're excited to see me. Um, but the other day, me and one of the new bartenders were standing at one end of the bar, and on the other end of the bar, we have a we have a low boy cooler that's also our draft system that we keep all the clean glassware on. Um, three glasses, three glasses just sitting there, knocked themselves onto the floor and shattered. Dude, we've been getting a lot of broken glass. Yeah, a lot of broken glass. Um, that and uh, if you're just tuning in, you don't know about the ghost report. We have two main ghosts. Yep, we've got the tall bald guy, and then we've got the lady with the long hair. Yep, uh, there's a lady with long hair that's in a long dress. Um, I saw her twice the other day, one of which I immediately suppressed because it freaked me out so fucking much, <laughs> which I don't think she's malicious in any way, but uh, I was restocking the bathrooms with paper towels, and I was coming out of the second bathroom, and I saw someone come out of the first bathroom and go towards the front of the bar, and it was a lady with long hair, but we had some people in, like five or six people. I was like, oh, it's just a customer, and I look out, None of the customers were ladies with long hair. Woo! And so I was like, oh, sick, sick, sick. Um, <laughs> and the other one, I'm walking back to the back of the bar, and we have these windows that line one of the walls at the back bar, and I saw her in the reflection. Ooh. And I was like, that's so terrifying. <laughs> um, and then last night, uh, we had a guy sitting at the bar just having a full conversation, and he quickly just looks to the back of the bar, and he goes, is this place haunted? And uh, me and another bartender, like, we kind of smile to each other because we're like, yeah, this place is fucking haunted. Well, to be clear, we get at least one person a week that's yeah. like, hey, is this place haunted? Yeah. Uh, and we're like, yeah, why? And he goes, I've seen stuff, like, my whole life. And he goes, I just saw something in the back. And we're like, was it a lady? And he goes, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that, that's yeah, we this week's ghost report. Hair. Yeah, and I've – so our bathrooms, um, one of the things that are made in our, our town – is um, the mirrors for disco balls. And uh, we, we thought it would be fun if in the bathrooms, instead of having a single mirror, we just covered the walls in it, like wallpaper, and we have wainscoting that comes up to it. I'm telling you this, but you yeah. know, you clean them every day. But uh, those mirrors, if there is anything about ghosts and mirrors, I mean, 
I made a hall of mirrors out of our bathrooms, and they also have a smoke machine in them. So that ghost is probably just exceptionally lost in that bathroom. Oh, yeah. Because that bathroom does smell like perfume now, like frequently. Mm -hmm. Not like the other one does. It's always kind of the same perfume. Well, it's always exactly the same perfume. Mm -hmm. You can't always smell it. I've smelt it, too. Yeah, it was, the lady with long hair is very much a real ghost. If anybody, again, we'll say it like we always do, but if there are any amateur ghost hunters out there that want to come give it a crack, please, by all means, do, because I do absolutely own an exceptionally uh, haunted bar, and it's spooky to work in. Yeah. Now, let's talk about headlines. Let's get into a couple fun little stories before we get into the continuation of last week's story. For those who maybe didn't tune in last week, it's definitely worth checking out before this episode. Um, you've probably heard by now that story about the shooting on the set of Rust. Well, last week we theorized because um, the armor on set, who most people are pointing a finger at, um, has been blamed for pretty much everything. Well, her legal defense stated that she was set up, and that to us obviously got our attention because we're quick to turn to those who might be set up. Mm -hmm. And uh, it turns out, after doing the episode last week, we got a lot of feedback um, from multiple people very close to the case who wanted to reach out to us, uh, and we received a bunch of emails and texts and stuff, uh, and we want to go through all that stuff today, and we're going to talk about that case further. But before we get into that, we're going to talk about the fun stuff. And I want to start with maybe my favorite detail of the weekend, uh, and that's the NFT bay. Yes. For those that don't know, for all of you that know what NFTs are, I don't know, get another hobby. But it's very easy to troll people. Uh, if you aren't familiar with what an NFT is, it's a non-fungible token. It's basically an extremely um, environmentally costly way to guarantee the authenticity of something through the blockchain. Um, now, it's... There's a lot of argument about well whether or not it's just JPEGs that you don't really own. So there's a lot of trolling in the form of right-clicking and saving as. Mm -hmm. Well, now the NFT Bay has opened in the shadow of the Pirate Bay with a terabyte of all of the bored ape yacht club crappy little cartoons you could possibly want. Uh, you very accurately pointed out to me that it looked a lot like um, I was a... We've talked about this on the show a number of times, but I've been a Something Awful member pretty much my entire adult life. Mm -hmm. um, and we used to have like a, a Santa Claus flash builder um oh, by the way rest and piss low tax uh if you know what that means you agree with me uh and it looks exactly like that yeah it, it looks like they may have just stolen that flash or, yeah. like the assets it's we all know those things are like really stolen and stupid and shitty anyway but it it was nice that you pointed that out but if any of you would like to troll your friends if you got any bitcoin butthead buddies and you want to make fun of them go download their nft you know what i haven't seen yet that i'd really like to see is why aren't people selling intentionally pirated nfts i don't like know. why don't you just take the board ape and create a new blockchain code for it you know what i mean yeah it's like a new game save like just <laughs> save over it um if you do know a guy who's painfully into nfts um ask him to kind of explain them to you a little bit and then immediately after he's done, say, oh, like Beanie, Beanie Babies, Babies. <laughs> and watch them fucking explode. It's so funny. Caleb, what's your first story, Bubba? Uh, my first story is um, these researchers at Oxford, uh, the University of Oxford Library, were looking through a book that was published in 1528, and they found fragments of a long-lost 12th century French poem in the bindings. That's so cool. And they're like, oh, man, we thought this was gone completely, and it was uh, a poem about the Siege of Orange. Um, and they're like, oh, this is a great continuation of this hero's journey. And a very important historic story. Oh, exactly. Um, and they're like, we can tell that it is authentic, uh, authentic because after it takes place after this um, poem that they have printed in a late 13th century 
book about the Siege of Orange as well. And there was like, there's this weird gap that we didn't know about. Well, this partially fills in the gap. It's just a fragment. It's like a third of the page. It's still such a weird place to find it. Yeah. It's in the binding of another book. Like somebody stole it yep. and shoot it away. Uh, but that's not the only thing they found in that book. They also found a uh, medieval romance story. Fragments hoping, of a medieval romance story. I was hoping you were going to say like a medieval joint. <laughs> they found a medieval joint, a medieval boarding pass, um, <laughs> and some gum wrappers. No, but uh, they did it find... It belonged to some guy named John Titer. I don't know. <laughs> He's like, I got to get to 2021. Yeah, watch our um, episode on 2038 if you want to know what we're talking about. He's uh, he's the interdimensional time traveler that came from Florida to make sure the IBM computer didn't get made. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and if you don't want to learn more, that's on you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's super cool. This 15th century book ended up having parts of the 12th century and medieval times in it. Medieval times. Medieval times. Yeah, I had a brochure from medieval times about I've, their birthday package. You know what's funny is I've never been to medieval times. I've played like D&D my whole life. I've never been to the Ren Fair, and I've never been to Medieval Times, but I've seen the Cable Guy about a hundred times, and that's the only association to Medieval Times I have. I just see Jim Carrey with a big gap in his teeth and the turkey leg. Uh, as someone who's been to Medieval Times quite a few times, it fucking rocks. <laughs> Somebody's going to be like, there's a continuity error. Isn't he his son? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. figure that out on your own. <laughs> anyway, uh, so my second story today uh, relates to YouTube, which is where you are probably watching this show. Uh, and if you're not watching the show, you're listening to it, more power to you. Thank yep. you. We like we like our audio listeners. Uh, <laughs> some, some podcasts don't. We do. Uh, so recently, YouTube made a very controversial decision. They got rid of dislikes. Mm -hmm. I understand where they're coming from because as a smaller channel ourselves, if we were to get bombarded by people, you know, we have a tendency to talk a couple weeks. I mean, the subject that we're talking about today, um, we're talking about Baldwin and gun control and things like that. It would be very easy to get, now watch it happen, to get a dislike bomb and fuck us out of the algorithm. Yeah. Um, so it makes sense. I get where they're coming from. But I also understand the argument that they're useful. If you're looking for a tutorial or something, you want to make sure that you don't invest, I guess, three minutes of your time is wasted. Mm -hmm. That seems... That seems seems very rich to be like, it's a funny argument to be like, I need dislike, so don't waste time on a video. I have doom scrolling to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't watch this four minute video. That'll take like 70 TikToks out of my rotation. <laughs> exactly. But if you are the type of person who is especially upset that they're gone, you can now breathe a sigh of relief because they're available again uh, through a browser extension. Uh, one programmer has decided... Uh, that Chrome needed it back. So the Google API, he re he added an extension so that if you really, really want to have your dislikes back, you can have them back. We'll see how long YouTube lets that exist. <laughs> yeah, I have a feeling they'll probably squash that pretty quick. But who yeah. knows? Maybe that'll be their, their sort of stop. I mean, if honestly, if I were them, I'd probably just let it exist. That's sort of the stop camp answer. Yeah. It's like you unofficially can know what the dislikes are. Yeah, who knows? That'll probably cause trouble. It's It feels like all of this stuff has to do with kids watching stuff. You know what I mean? I mean, it, it's a good thing uh, because, like you said, growing up as a kid on the internet, uh, you get really bombarded by negative negativity. Yeah, absolutely. And so if you're a young content creator um, and all you're seeing is your dislikes and all you're focusing on is your dislikes, and we're in such a culture where things are given value by their likes and their subscribers and their followers. Absolutely. So if you focus on those dislikes, it's going to be pretty negative to you. Yeah. And the unfortunate truth is some content creators have pointed out and is we all know is true beyond burnout or anything like that. It doesn't matter what content you create. If you put it on the internet, you will get negativity and you will probably get it two, four, you know, six to one, what you would get positivity. Yeah. It's just 
do you remember being a little kid? It's easier when you like somebody to pull their hair and yell at them than it is to actually be kind to them because you have to be vulnerable to do that. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't want to do that. I think the internet, it's an interesting thing for me because I grew up with the internet like it's my sibling. You know, we kind of grew up together. I grew yeah. up at the same time and I was fortunate enough to be a user of it from pretty much the beginning. It's how I, you know, I remember BBS boards and stuff like that. And I remember at the time it felt fine, but there was so much potential I remember how it felt, you know, in the early 2000s when the internet started to get more normy and mm-hmm. social media became more of a thing and the internet became more about advertising yourself. You know, now everybody has a Facebook page, Instagram. I mean, we do. We shouted out at the yeah. beginning all this stuff. We have a YouTube page for the show. And, at, you know, in 2001, it was insane to have a website for yourself. Yeah. Now you got nine of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? So this push towards humans as a brand, humans as avatars, humans as consumables. Yeah, I think it's like it's probably good to have some safeguards on this stuff because it's fundamentally pretty dangerous and it's more dangerous than the real world because of the anonymity aspect. Yeah. Yeah. So for when it comes to kids, yeah, man, they don't need to be exposed to all that stuff all the time. I was a lot, you know, I when I was a kid, I was on Rotten.com and I was doing all that stuff. And I'm not going to sit here and act like that was good for me or like that... that sent me down a good path because it didn't it didn't it's you could argue like oh it's good to see that stuff no it's not it's not that important for a 15 year old to see somebody's head splayed open that's not important yeah yeah anyway (laughs) Uh, much better things uh my final article before we get into the main story is uh new zealand every year the forest and bird administration holds the bird of the year competition (laughs) where uh they bring to light uh, birds that are either endangered or going through tough eco- like ecological issues like deforestation or homeless, losing their homes. Yeah. yeah, or addicted to drugs. Addicted to drugs, maybe lost their jobs People to don't the know pandemic. This, but the New Zealander heroin was actually named after the heroin it was addicted to for years. Uh, just like uh, the blue-footed crack addict. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this year, with a little bit of a controversial win... That's actually what happened to the Kiwis. They overdosed. <laughs> the people are the bird. Um, no, so this year with a controversial win, uh, the long-tailed bat won Bird of the Year. How do you feel about that? For I, those of you who don't, may, if haven't been following the show since the beginning, we had... we. We now shoot in the same old haunted attic we used to shoot in. Uh, we had a little sabbatical in a yeah. UFO, but we got kicked out for not paying rent. Yeah, I didn't know you had to pay rent on a UFO. It's like they abduct you, and I'm supposed to know what the plan is? I don't know what the plan is. We built a podcast studio. Anyway, uh, we have had bats in this very haunted attic before, and Caleb <clears throat> took it not very gracefully. I hate bats. Um, like... I like bats at a distance. I like seeing bats like when they're behind, you know, acrylic or glass. Um, you like dead bats? No, live bats <laughs> behind acrylic or bats. <laughs> well, dead bats are fine too because they can't fucking fly around. Um, I don't know. They just creep me out, man. Uh, things shouldn't fly that fast. <laughs> what are you talking about? Birds fly way faster than well, you're talking about. How fast a butterfly flies? You're like I, that's not what you're scared of. You're scared of the fact that it's a mammal because it's a little mouse that can fly. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah, it's creepy. You it's know? creepy. Yeah, uh, but with a, a comfortable three thousand vote lead, the long-tailed bat won Bird of the Year in Way New Zealand. Go, uh, the bat is about the size of a thumb with the wingspan of a hand, um, and it's they won because they are facing um, different threats. One being um, habitat loss, and the other one being um, uh, non-indigenous predators. So they are a tiny bat. They are getting eaten up. 
and they're losing their houses to forest fires and deforestation. Um, so the Forest and Bird Administration were like, you know what, you guys can have it this year. Also, when they were, it was brought up, they're like, well, why did they get added to the Bird of the Year? And uh, quote is, uh, we thought we'll include them in the Bird of the Year because there's only two bat species in New Zealand, so having Bat of the Year would not have been very exciting. <laughs> well, it's like uh, vegetables. You yeah. know, like vegetables are a term that's necessary, but they're all fruits. When yeah. somebody's like, is it tomato a fruit or a It's a fruit. Every yeah. plant has pollen, it has a flower, and it has fruits. It also has roots, which is what ginger and taro and stuff like that get classified as. That's why we call them vegetables, because they're not the fruit part. Yeah. Uh, that being said, there needs to be like a flying things, like flying mammals should get their own designation. There should yeah. be a vegetable version. Because they're be- they're birds. They're birds. They're just mammal birds. Yeah. You know? They're just birds with hair. Yeah. Like, they're, we need to, the problem that we're having. They're like, they're not birds. These guys sound like idiots. That's what we're trying to say. We need a better word for flying animals. I mean, put it this way. If you took a bird, a bat, and a dog, and you're like, put this one in one of these groups, and I'm like, it's small, it chirps, and it flies. It goes with the fucking birds. If you think the fur <laughs> is enough and bat milk is enough to convince me. Well, you're right. Bat milk is <laughs> Bat milk. <laughs> Na 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 na. Made by fighters for fighters. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully you enjoyed those little stories of the week. Some funny shit going on. The I think the NFT Bay might be my favorite. Oh, this podcast brought to you by the NFT Bay. Uh, if you want an NFT, I'll sell you one for twenty bucks. Yep. It's gonna be a. It, you get the whole JPEG. Yeah. You don't get that when you buy one on Mm-mm. you know OpenSea or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Give you the whole kit and caboodle, you know? The whole thing. You can have it all. I'll give you two. I'll give you two. <laughs> two for the price of one. $30,000, I'll give you all of them. I'll give you a terabyte hard drive with every NFT on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, to move on from uh, a confusing concept to a confusing crime, uh, into the main story, I suppose, huh? Yes. Yeah, so last week we talked about Hannah Gutierrez Reed, David Halls, and the shooting on the set of Rust. And we talked about it, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, because it was brought up as a conspiracy against uh, at least Hannah Gutierrez Reed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that piqued our interest. And when we poked into the void, the void sort of poked back at us. Yeah. We theorized a couple things, but the biggest thing we theorized was possibly it was uh, from a motive of revenge. She, Hannah's boyfriend had been killed on her motorcycle a couple years ago in an accident while, they were, while everybody was kind of partying and goofing around. Uh, well, it turns out that uh, we had some people very close to everyone involved reach out to us. Uh, I, I'm not going to share our sources. I'm not at liberty to do that. I'm also not at liberty to share most of the communications that I've had. I will, however, say that there are emails and text messages that exist um, that have some exonerating evidence in them, and that's what we're going to discuss today. Yeah. So we discussed that maybe it could have been Guppy's family. It was made abundantly clear to me very quickly that that's not the case. Yeah, um, and I mean, uh, to not kind of cover our own tracks here, but we were just working with the information that yeah. we had that was being pushed uh, everywhere that you would see an article. It was like, oh, well, this isn't the only time, and that was a really shitty thing to do. But, I mean, we were working with the information we got. And we also found out afterwards that, you know, a lot of the information of that incident was incorrect. Mm -hmm. But for those who don't know what happened, um, on October 27th, uh, there was a shooting in the morning on the set of Rust. Alec Baldwin discharged an actual live round uh, from a firearm, supposed to be a prop gun, uh, into the chest of the cinematographer and into the shoulder of the director. Uh, the cinematographer, Hannah, Helena Hutchins, unfortunately did pass from her injuries. Um, and since then, prosecutors have been trying to figure out, obviously, what's been going on. Yes. Now, uh, the armorer is who's 
typically going to be blamed for something like that. But And that's what we did. Um, however, this episode is called The Armorer's Mentor for a reason. That's sort of the name of this theory. And that's because what we were initially put onto was that uh, there was a person brought into the, the shoot a couple weeks um, previous to the incident that didn't really have a place on the shoot. Mm-hmm. And that man is Seth Kenny. He was brought in as the armor's mentor, which is not a traditional position on a, a movie set. Yeah. It's not, that's not a normal job. Normally you'd have an armor, maybe a lead armor. You'd have some the lead props. You'd have that stuff. Um, you might have an assistant armor, but an armor's mentor is a very, I mean, just look at that term. That's such yeah. a, that sounds like a, a role in D and D, you know, that doesn't sound like a role on a movie set. Um, but that person was brought in, and most importantly, provided the ammunition. And that's what we're going to get into today, because when we want to talk about who's really at blame, there are quite a few people at blame for a few different things. Um, you may have seen two days ago, there was a lawsuit that was filed against Baldwin that uh, and the producers that alleged that the scene in which Helena was unfortunately uh, killed wasn't even in the script and wasn't necessitated. And there's been some back and forth on that. We have some confirmation to say that that was in fact changed and it did probably lead to that. But we'll get to all that in a second. Why don't we start sort of back at the beginning? So if somebody set somebody up, why? What happened? Okay. So we have a timeline for the day. Yes. Realistically, because what's most importantly is we've established in the previous episode that this uh, movie set was moving fast and they were moving dangerously. Yeah, fast and sloppy. Yep, and they hired... Yeah, I typically like. <laughs> <laughs> they hired a lot of non-union people, including Hannah. Hannah was hired because she's non-union, and they were allowed to do so specifically because props was so strapped across the country that mm. IA allowed it to happen. They gave permission. They said, you can hire this non-union person. She was also specifically hired. Again, we have confirmation of this. Fortunately, we just are not at liberty currently to share that. Um she was hired to do both armor and props. Yes. Now, ask yourself, if, you're, if your job at the bank is to guard the gold and also mop the toilet, which one of those jobs is probably more important? You would probably watch the gold more. Yeah. Until the bank teller or the, the bank manager comes in and says, why are these toilets a mess? Exactly. So we want to set uh, a frame of reference because we, while we know... We knew last week what the set was like. We have a much, much, much better picture now. And it's very clear that things were moving very quickly and very chaotically. And it was definitely in the light of the IATSE uh, strike and the renegotiation that was going on, as well as COVID and everything else that sort of set the movie industry back. Mm -hmm. Well, the cutting of all of those subsequent corners, despite the constant warnings from everybody that that's going to lead to an accident. Well, what do you know? It led to, well, a number of accidents and we'll get into those. Um, So Hannah was hired to do both props and armor. Now in that process, she was to share those duties. Yes. Both of those duties with a woman named Sarah. Yes. Now Sarah was the lead props and there was a number of conflicts between the two about who was getting their job done appropriately. But when you split the difference like that, it becomes very difficult to get your jobs done because you're constantly being taken off a job and sent to another job. Mm. It's not as if they have a list of duties in front of them to achieve over the day. They have a supervisor who's coming along and saying, okay, now go do this. Oh, hey, I need you over here. Hey, can you come do this? Hey, we go check on that. Now, one of the big concerns there is weapons are going to get left around. And there were complaints that a shotgun had been left unattended several times after a shot. However, it's been made clear to me through our sources that 
it's very common for firearms to be left by actors irresponsibly on set, especially yeah. prop guns, especially cold guns. Well, that's one thing that we talked about in last episode is there's this timeline of uh, between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. where the guns were left unattended. Well, we now know from our sources that's not entirely true. They weren't no. left unintended. Uh, they were under the supervision of someone else that just kind of fucking dropped the ball. Yep, absolutely. And I think a number of people did. And that led to, as we pointed out last week, you know, this case immediately got our curiosity because this is a situation that is a rife for sabotage. Yeah. It's a perfect situation. You've got, uh, you know, a star armor, Thel Reed. He's a stuntman and uh, armor to every movie pretty much that you've ever seen. His daughter, who's a hotshot coming up, doing the same thing. If you were trying to maybe humble her or something. We'll get into motivations in a little bit. Yeah. This would have been a very ripe situation because everybody was moving so fast and they weren't paying attention to a lot of the important details and the communication between all of them has made that clear. Uh, there was a legitimate breakdown in functional communication, but our sources have made it clear that it is relatively normal for firearms like that to be left on set. And despite that, there was pressure on the armor and the props department to make sure that these weapons were being watched after they called for a check-in and check-out system. And that was sort of rebuffed with, well, I would love to have that. However, the issue is that I don't have the time or space to get that done. Um, in the information that we've been shared, uh, as a matter of fact, <laughs> Hannah barely got her uh, finished paperwork done before she was out on the job. So there was a tremendous sense of urgency to this. People were being rushed and they were being put in uh, a dangerous position. And a, it, I'm stammering a little bit because I hesitate to feel that this wasn't inevitable. Yeah. They were pushing the set so hard and so fast. The reason we had a comment on last week's that said it felt like a psyop. And that's because it does just feel so wild. And it's just that irresponsible. It's yeah. just a breakdown in responsibility and very likely could have been more than negligence. So... Uh, the firearms are being frequently left around. Things aren't being checked in and checked out. Ammo is uh, kind of shaky, but what's been made clear to us is that what the prosecutors in this case, more than anything else, are looking for is who supplied the ammunition. Because while we can get into the unfortunate truth about firing uh, a firearm like that on set is that there are so many people in the chain of custody that actual liability is difficult to establish unless it's in a larger format, you know, a group of people. So here, what's really important is, okay, well, how did a live round, I think it's the question that a lot of people have been asking this entire time. Well, how did a live round even end up on the set in the first place? Now, there have been claims that there was planking that was being done, but the reason we brought up Seth at the beginning is because Seth Kenny is the man who provided all of the ammunition for the shoot. People like to point fingers at Hannah and say that Hannah brought the ammo. She didn't bring all the ammo. Now, mm -hmm. Hannah has admitted that she brought two boxes of ammunition, of which she is not sure how many were in, and that's not great. Yeah. You know, If you don't know exactly how many bullets were present, it's hard to know if one was missing. Mm -hmm. Inventory is important. But it has been made clear that the boxes and evidence don't match up. There's yeah. a claim that the boxes that have been shown and the boxes that she actually brought are different. They look newer than the boxes that she had. Um, and there's a concern that the ammunition at some point was switched out, yeah. um, which is a greater sort of send up to this. Now, as we're talking about all these things, we talk about the ammunition, we talk about the way that things were working on set. We do that because now we have confirmation of how these things are and we're setting a greater understanding for the timeline that Caleb's going to lay out for you now. Yeah. So, uh, there have been so many different stories been pushed around about what actually happened that day. And, um, we just want to like clear up the timeline uh, as far as we know it. 
Uh, so and keep in mind, this is all alleged. Obviously, yeah. Hannah did prepare the gun, as many of the articles state. Uh, but then she had left it on the prop cart, which again, a lot of articles state that she left it on the prop gun and or a prop cart. And a lot of people like to point that as an issue, be like, "Oh, you left it unattended." Well, she did it under the assumption that they weren't filming yet because they weren't supposed to be filming. Yeah, yet. Baldwin wasn't on set yet when she set the gun on the cart. While it had been prepped, it's important to point out that's the last time she touched the firearm mm-hmm. is when she prepped it, she set it on this cart, and it's very easy, I think, offset. And we were in this position last week as well to be like, well, why wasn't anybody watching it? Several people were, in theory, watching it. Yes. It's like having a kid around your family at Thanksgiving. Do you know exactly where your daughter is right this second? No, but your whole family's around, so you assume she's safe. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same idea. This gun was sitting on a cart with other guns and with mixed ammunition. That's true. But that's because the person in charge of that, not actually Hannah in this case, it was Sarah that day, the person that was accepting all of the new ammunition, that person is tasked with checking those things before anything goes any further. So it doesn't really make a difference. In theory, that gun should be getting checked, whether it's been prepped. Hannah can prep the gun, put it on the cart all she wants. It's still going to get checked when they pick it up. Mm -hmm. If you don't check it when you pick it up or something bad happens then, that's when we have a problem, and that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, Uh, she goes to do prop duties because, like we said, she was spread super fucking thin, uh, was being told to go this way and that way. And it's important to point out it's, it's easy to bag on Hannah and be like, well, this is only her second job. She wasn't qualified. Okay. To be clear, everybody has to start somewhere. And also her father's fell fucking read. She's somewhat qualified the very first day. I hate to break it to you guys, but that's how it works. It just, when you grow up around it and you have somebody who you can ask questions to just like that, you're going to get a slightly more advanced education than the average person. And also, yeah, everybody has to start somewhere. It's like when you get a, you know, the, when you get out of college and the, the starting position says you have to have 10 years of experience. Yeah. It's like, how am I supposed how to I fucking s- do that? Well, I have a, I have a funny story about that. Um, my uncle is a CTO and has been a programmer for a really long time. And he had a buddy who uh, created a programming language and then applied for a job. And on the prerequisites for the job, they said you need to have five years of this specific programming language. And they were interviewing him, and they're like, do you have all the things we put as requirements? And he goes, well, kind of. And they're like, do you have five years of this programming language? And he goes, no. They're like, why not? And he goes, because three years ago when I created that language, (laughs) he's like, no one has five years. If someone tells you they have five years, they're lying. I created that three years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. So it's like, I think everybody's been a little unfair in assumption that this all goes on here. Also, We'll get into Baldwin here in a little bit, but Baldwin is absolutely somewhat responsible. Last week, we were very dubious on that, but a number of things. Most importantly, he was the SAG ambassador on set, and the SAG handbook quite literally says the SAG ambassador is the last stop for all people's safety. And if you look at the requirements for the armorer's job, they have significantly fewer, ultimately, the armorer's job description makes it abundantly clear that there is another person who will be checking on this. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and again, we're talking about a situation where we didn't have a purely focused armor. We had somebody who was hired to do armor and props and another person who was put in that position who was quite irresponsible with those props. We'll get into the, the continuation of this timeline in a moment, but I want to talk about Sarah for a moment, the props lead. So I'm not including her last name because I'm not trying to uh, dox anybody. Yeah. It'll come out. If you really want to find it, you can find it. But the props lead, Sarah, a couple days previous, Hannah was blamed for an accidental discharge. That yeah, was her fault. We covered it in yesterday's ep- or last week's episode. 
um, that there were two misfires or accidental discharges previous. And one of those was Sarah shooting herself in the foot while loading a blank. Yes. And in doing so, making it abundantly clear to Hannah, like, you're probably going to lose your job if anybody finds out about this. And I'm going to lose my job if anybody finds out about this. Setting a precedent for losing your job if something unsafe were to happen on this movie set, which means that if you wanted someone to lose their job... That sounds like a pretty good way to do it. And you've yeah. confirmed that you know that might be a way to do it. And we're saying that because Sarah's pretty knee-deep in all of this yeah. stuff. And we'll get into uh, her involvement later with uh, our new theories yes. of who did it and why. Sarah is in a position that she shouldn't be in. Hannah's in a position that she shouldn't be in. Uh, things are just happening awry all, all over. And it's like, this is what happens. You get what you pay for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Uh you hur- when you hurry somebody, no matter how capable they are, and like this is somebody who I brought this up initially, not to just say don't dog on her for it being her first or second job, but also do you not remember your first day at school? You yeah. remember your first day of school? You got a fresh cut, you got new shoes and new clothes, you smell nice, new backpack, and that's because you want to impress. Yeah, same is true when you got a new job. I, I have a very hard time believing that she walked into this job and decided that she already had it done. It was. Totally. And the correspondence that we've seen indicates that that's not the case. There was a great deal of concern for safety from her. And there was a lot of worry about this being even finished. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think it's unfair to immediately assume that she was phoning it in because it was her second job. Like she was underqualified. No, she was probably working as hard as she could because it was her second job. Um, To continue with the timeline here, uh, Hannah dropped the guns off um, and then due to COVID restrictions, wasn't allowed into the set of the church. Uh, They were at capacity. They had David, they had the director, they had the cinematographer. And now at this point, they had Alec and um, they had Sarah as well. So they had... Over five people. It was a small set. They well, weren't no, allowed. Her and Sarah were both sent well, off together. Yes, they yeah. were. They were there together. But it was small enough set that the COVID restrictions were like we can't have more people in this building. So they were sent to go do prop work. Um, as they're doing prop work, they left the guns with the other guns and went to go do props. And they were walking around working on stuff, and they heard the gun go off. Sarah then looks at Hannah and says, "Was that the gun?" And Hannah, who, as we keep reiterating whose father is an armor for the stars has been for years is very comfortable around guns Sleeps with guns in her hands has <laughs> has even stated on different uh, interviews and podcasts that part of her job that she enjoys so much is making people feel comfortable around guns knowing that if you handle them safely they're not something to be scared of it's like that couldn't have been the gun there's yeah, there's nothing in that gun to make that sound. Yeah. What do you mean? And she also mentioned that it didn't sound like a blank. It didn't. Yeah. She's like that. Even And if, that's because it wasn't. Blank. Yeah. Even if it did have a blank in it, that didn't sound like a blank. That couldn't be the gun. Um, and then they saw commotion happen. So they started uh, going and running to the church. Uh, when they go into the church, she saw Joel on the ground on his back, quickly realized what the situation was, tried apologizing to Joel. She's like, I had no idea. And that's when she was yelled at to get out. They're like, you're not helping. Get out. Leave. To which she went behind the building. Kind of broke down because it's a super stressful yeah. situation. Yeah. And the next it's fully thing, understandable. Yeah, next thing she remembers is being handed the gun, mm-hmm. uh, being 30 feet outside of the building-ish, she says, behind the back of it. And David Wells handing her the gun. Yes. And then from there... You know, the rest is history. Yeah. The 911 call has been made. Everybody's reacting. And the police show up, sweep the crime scene at all. Continue. There's so many weird instances of, well, 
then who was in charge? What happened? Why was everything going on? Why would you hand a gun to someone that was just used to shoot someone? Yep. And that brings up a bunch of different questions that the defense has brought up. This crime scene was kind of tampered with. Yeah, yeah. And it whether was it was intentional, a number of hours. Yeah, whether it was intentional or whether it was unintentional, this crime scene was definitely tampered with. We can fully state that just by the fact that the gun was handed to her. That's straight up tampering with yeah. the evidence. You can't do that. You yeah. have to leave it where it is. That's uh, Alec has to hand it to the cop. Yeah. Yeah. That's like um, either, yeah, hand it to the cop or just fucking drop it. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you're trying to preserve the... Yeah. yeah. If in a situation like this where you weren't robbing a gas station, you know, or whatever, and you accidentally just shot somebody, just calmly as you can set the gun on a fucking table and be like, holy shit. You don't give it to Dave, who then gives it to her. Like, you, <laughs> you don't start playing hot potato with the you gun. You don't hand it to another person standing in the gas station and be like, oh, man, this is your problem now. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Can you believe this? That's uh, if you've watched um, I Think You Should Leave, the yeah. hot dog skit where he crashes into the building. He's like, we need to figure out who did this. And he's like stealing clothes. Just imagine like, ah, oh, shit. Here's the gun. <laughs> Can you believe this guy just tried to rob this gas station? This guy just got shot by your hand, gun. Hand the guy you shot the gun and be like, that was crazy, dude. I just asked this guy for money and he shot himself in the chest. <laughs> he must be having a real bad day. Somebody's uh, got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> bum, 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 and just like tap dance out of the gas station. Anyway, I could see this happen at a gas station that's close to us, which is really funny. Um, but yeah, so... This crime scene was left open for quite a while. They were out in the middle of the desert, so it was a big distance. We covered that in last episode. That's one of the crew's main complaints. Yeah. It was out in the fucking middle of nowhere. They and they had good housing, yeah. Drive an hour just to get to the I set. Mean, yeah, the crew who were just in like crappy housing near the set were an hour away. Yeah. Imagine how far away an ambulance was. I mean, that ambulance took quite a long time to get there. That means the police cars took that long to get there too. And if there was tampering that was happening on set, you had more than enough time to handle it. And the people who would have been involved would have been somebody like David Wells, somebody who was around the gun the entire time time Mm -hmm. um there was plenty of time plenty of uh opportunity to tamper with anything you wanted to yeah yep uh and that brings up like who are suspects now we uh our main point right now is to exonerate hannah yeah she's not at fault here um or allegedly not at fault here from the information that we have um so who could be at fault and why um we have some theories personally one that we brought up was sarah yeah um, another we brought up earlier in the episode is Seth. Yep. Um, which I think we should touch more yeah, on let's, Seth. Let's talk about who Seth Kenny is. Let's talk about 51 year old Kevin O'Leary looking ass. Uh, yeah, Seth, if you're listening to this, I know who you are. Uh, so Seth Kenny is, uh, an armor as well. He's actually worked quite a bit with Thel, including he worked on Django Unchained with him and mm-hmm. it led to his firing, yep. uh, which Thel was involved in and subsequent lawsuit against Thel and the production company for everything that happened on the set of Django. Yes. So, we want to start this off by saying that his villain origin story is that he's got an axe to to grind with the Reed family, no questions asked. Yeah, um, and when we look at Seth, we think of three different um, theories. We came up with three different theories why he would do such a thing. One being he was a staunch conservative. Yep. Uh, He was a staunch conservative whose career is based around guns, and he is now working on a movie about guns, about an accidental shooting, 
um, where the lead is a pretty vocal liberal who's and executive producer, somebody and executive producer who, who stands to make a lot of money off of fucking it. boss baby. Yep, the boss boss baby, baby himself, dude Alec Baldwin. Man, <laughs> he's he one hundred percent is boss baby. You put that little cowboy hat on him, he is the boss baby. Uh, so that one we first brought up as a theory, but it's pretty loose, like. If you want something to happen, so many things have already happened with the guns on the set. Um, and also, if you're trying to make a guns are safe statement, getting someone shot probably isn't the best way to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which leads to, you know, one of the other possible theories, which is that it was in sort of an IATSE stunt. But a lot of the people there were non-union. So we're talking about sabotage, subterfuge, you know. So there's... Um, Enough time before the shooting and afterwards to not only doctor a bullet, slip a bullet in, change it, but also change it out afterwards, maybe change the things. And like I said, like the accusations claim, maybe switch out Hannah's boxes of ammunition that end up in evidence as well. So if you were going to do something like that, who would have access to that? Well, there are a few people. And the reason that we point at Seth is because, well, it's either Seth, Sarah, or David. Yeah. Uh, or Baldwin himself. But I think he was irresponsible. And we'll get into how his irresponsibility honestly probably led specifically to Helena being shot. And it's because he made a last-minute design change. Yeah. Uh, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, but, you know, so you've got Sarah, you've got David, and you've got Seth. So David, obviously, he's on set. He's... We talked about it a lot last week. He's very well known for being irresponsible. Uh, he should know a lot better, but he's known for being irresponsible. And since uh, what happened, he's pretty much just been on the internet virtue signaling that guns are dangerous and what happened shouldn't have happened, even though he was probably the person who was responsible, allegedly, for what happened. Yeah. Now, how could Seth be involved? Well, Seth provided all of the ammunition for the shoot, as I mentioned at the beginning. Hannah only provided two small boxes. He provided the ammunition for the shoot, and that ammunition all came from the previous shoot that both he and Hannah had worked on together, and that was the Nick Cage movie, The Old Way, where she had had an accidental discharge. So he has an understanding that she knows that she she fucks up, and he knows that. Yeah. She He has candidly been pretty cruel to her. Yes. There are accusations that he thinks that she's arrogant. He thinks that she's full of shit. He thinks that she has a big head. He thinks that she's a young hotshot. And she thinks that she's, she's very lucky to be in the position that she's in. Too. Absolutely. And he feels that it's only because of her position as Thel's daughter. And it just reeks of two dudes who want to be king and one has an heir. So the other one is furious and wants to kill the heir. You know, like this is a storyline in two different seasons of Game of Thrones. It, it's a classic Hamlet slash Lion King scenario. Yes, right here. Yeah. A, and in this case, Seth is Scar. Yes. Uh, <laughs> who I'm pretty sure ate Thel. Because uh, in that movie, he ate Mufasa. I'm pretty sure, yeah, he yeah. ate hyenas, Mufasa. Hyenas don't eat him. Uh, but that's just a theory. Uh, game theory. <laughs> So Seth has an axe to grind, but the big problem with Seth is while he is working on the set and he has been brought in sort of questionably as this mentor role, sort of without notice, not with Hannah's permission or consent, just sort of brought in, it sort of inserts himself into this situation, which will be a theme with him. Mm -hmm. um, but the big glaring error with him is that he was in Albuquerque the day of the shooting. So how could he have been involved? Well, he provided all the ammunition, which means that at any point he could have changed any of those bullets to be anything he wanted them to be. Um, and had he wanted... Now, this is where we get into tin hat territory. Yeah. Keep that in mind. But if he wanted to make a bad situation happen... There were a lot of accusations that he and Sarah have had a romantic relationship or yep. are closer than... Now, I'm going to be trepidatious about that because that's very alleged. Yeah. But 
if they did have a close relationship of that nature, it would absolutely be possible that he could make sure that doctored bullets made it to David and made it into that gun. Mm -hmm. And Sarah made sure that nobody else was around when this happened. And if you are in charge of something like... He's actually kind of the only person who could make that yeah. happen. Uh, and if you're in charge of something going all fucky-wucky, excuse my French, um, being in a completely different city while having other people do your bidding is a great way to exonerate yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Being what like, a fantastic... well, it couldn't be me. I wasn't even there. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, but you probably still had a very large hand to play in this. It's a, it's how every mafia boss, you know, runs yeah. his crime syndicate from behind bars or whatever. Yeah, you know, it can, it can still be done. You just need bodies and people. <laughs> hey, skinny legs, Jimmy, did you kill this guy? How could I kill this guy? I'm behind bars, and it's like. You and I both fucking know what we're talking about, dude. <laughs> I don't know. Did you talk to one of the guys who isn't, who you pay every single day that kills people? Yeah, so we're not obviously conspiring something quite that level, but there was a history, a fierce history between Seth. Seth does not like Hannah. He does mm -hmm. not like Thel. He thinks Hannah shouldn't have her job. And despite that, he was inexplicably hired as the mentor on this set, despite... Despite them working together on a previous film where she had an accidental discharge, and I'm going to be perfectly honest, if she was in any way incapable, which we don't think that she is, but if she was and you wanted to make sure that didn't happen again, why would you bring in the last person she worked with? And why would you, as the last person she worked with, at, like tell the production, oh, I think you should bring her on. Yeah. Which Seth did. Yeah, the last job you were on, you know she had an accidental discharge. So if she has this accidental discharge... She's not qualified for the job in your mind, right? You and know? you fucking hate her. Yeah, and you think she's a, <laughs> a, a turd who doesn't deserve her job. It just feels a little too personal to ignore. Yeah. There's a lot of very, very personal feelings there. And if somebody were to have the motive, this guy has it. And he's not being talked about. He was very quick to tell Hannah to turn herself in. He was very quick to be like, oh, yeah, if you just turn yourself in, this will disappear. Everything will be fine. And she was quick to be like, but I didn't do any. I'm not fucking turning myself in. I didn't do anything. Yeah. So they're in a situation now where he's sort of this odd man in the middle who was acting like a guardian angel, but really just looks like he's trying to get the blame off of himself. Which... It's one of those things both of us have encountered because we were both uh, good at our fields at a young age where if you go, I know me personally, going into a kitchen where I am, say, at the time, 19, 20 years old, and I'm good at what I do, and there's another person next to me on the line who's 28, 30, 35 years old, they get fucking pissed that you're young and, like, equal to them. Absolutely. And they will try to get every gotcha moment they can possibly do. Show you that you're not qualified, yeah. you're not ready to Make be you here. fuck up so the people that are in charge are like, see, fucking young guy over here keeps fucking up. And it's like, dude, you're the one who, when I asked for spinach, handed me kale. <laughs> like, that's not on me. That's not on me. You don't know what kale looks <laughs> this like. This kitchen is fucked up because you keep clocking in and go to skate park to rollerblade. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was that time you went to the Capitol on January 6th. Yeah. Yeah. Casey, we're talking about Casey, you. we're talking about you. <laughs> Fuck you, dude. Uh, I hated working for you. You were a <laughs> shitty chef, man. <laughs> uh, he probably won't see this. I don't know if he knows how to read. I think he's uh, still in jail. Yeah, probably. He's a first red flag is one time he was playing music in the kitchen and it was skinhead ska. <laughs> like legitimately skinhead ska. <laughs> Lighthearted skinhead music. Yeah. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck minorities. <laughs> yeah, to the <laughs> <laughs> Real big hate. Uh, anyway, so back to the story. There are a few people that could be at blame here, but realistically, Seth is probably the person who, if there's a prosecutable person to blame outside of Baldwin as the SAG ambassador, 
It's Seth. Seth mm. provided the ammunition. The prosecutor is asking who got this bullet on the set. Seth brought all the bullets. And Hannah handed over her ammunition as soon as they showed up. Like, as soon as she got back to the church, she gave it to him right away. Yep. There was no question about Sarah had it. And it's very important to make it clear that Sarah was the person bringing this in and out. She was handling the new ammunition that day. Hannah wasn't in charge of it. She's also the one who pulled Hannah off a job onto something else. She's also the one who went, hey, was that the gun? And Hannah was like, no, that couldn't be a gun. What are you talking about? Why would she think it was a gun? Was yeah. it because she knew it was a gun? Is it because she knew there was a hot load in that gun and she knew something was going to happen? Yeah, so hot load in that gun. I'm going to zoom in on our hands. <laughs> hot loads. So now we have sort of an understanding of what's going on. What happened in there? And now I want to talk a little bit about Baldwin's role in all of this. We said earlier that there was something that he had a design change last minute. And he did. He had a design change. He decided that he didn't want that lawsuit that's come up uh, the past couple of days that I said about how him drawing from a holster wasn't in the... That scene wasn't in the script. That's because he, at the absolute last minute, both didn't show up to safety meetings for the drawing of his gun, which is why Wells, they asked why nobody tried that. And Wells said, well, I walked through it. I had to walk through it. And it's because Baldwin didn't want to show up. And I want to make it clear. I can't explain why, but I can tell you that the everyone on set was very unhappy about that. And that's because it's a shitty thing to do. Yeah. Come up and show up for the scene. And more importantly, he changed the scene. He said he wanted a shoulder holster. He no longer wanted a hip holster. Yeah. Beyond that being anachronistic, because the film's set in the 1880s when they didn't use shoulder holsters, that now illuminates the scene completely differently. Yeah. Because what we were originally told is that Helena was struck because the lighting had changed in the shot, so they changed it, and they moved it, and that caused her to be shot. But that still doesn't make a shitload of sense, because even if he's pulling the gun out, why'd he pull the trigger? Why was yeah. his finger even on the trigger? And you're inside a building. Yeah. It's gonna so sunlight's not going to matter that much. Yeah, put yeah, put a sunblock over the window. Absolutely, yeah, put a reflector up. But you know, there's to me, I understand why you'd have dummies in the cylinders, but you have no reason to have one in the main cylinder because you can't see through the barrel of a gun. So even if he's pulling it up, there's no reason why he should pull the trigger or the bullet should come out. So how's this happen? Well, that's because, guys, the scoop is he used a shoulder holster. And when mm -hmm. you use a shoulder holster, you got to pull your gun out like that. And when you pull your gun out like that, well, the day previous, they said that when the gun was pulled out, or previous in that day, sorry, yeah. sorry, I want to make these time, I know this timeline's very foggy, but that day when he decided to show up to practice with the gun, the first time he pulls it out, three shells came out of his gun. And that's because he wasn't pulling it out of a hip holster. He was pulling it out like this. And if you yank a revolver that is not fully engaged, out of a shoulder holster, yeah, everything's going to fall yeah, out of it. The cylinder will pop right out and fly right out. Yep. So you say that happens, then you're playing what? Guess a mole with the bullets that are in there? You put them back in, you might be playing Russian roulette. Yeah. But more importantly, everybody who's watching this, so from Caleb to the end of the shot, if I am pulling a firearm, what is... I don't know to be a live firearm, and I pull it from a shoulder holster. In doing so, I do one of two things. If I don't have proper trigger discipline, I'm going to cause my finger to pull force across the trigger because I'm going to be yanking it out, and if I am not smart, and I'm going to go ahead and guess the Baldwin as an anti-guy gun. Or <laughs> he's a yeah, gun he's that says, I hate men. Yeah, he's a Megatron uh. <laughs> who hates men. No, as an anti-gun guy, I have a feeling his trigger discipline, while he's been described by other reps and other people who have worked with him as being very well disciplined, they also have a really big PR machine, so you got to take that with a grain of salt. What I know is that if you were to yank a revolver out like that and you couldn't even be bothered to show up 
when you were being asked to test it and you decided you're going to change the holster, you don't have a ton of respect for that firearm. Yeah. So you yank the firearm out of your sleeve. There's a really decent chance you're going to catch the trigger. And here's the fucked up thing. Even if there's an accidental hammer discharge when that happens, you're sweeping the gun across the room now. You're no longer going like this. You're going like this. Yeah. You're basically commit, committing a single bullet drive-by. Yeah. That bullet could come out at any point in any part of the room and it's not like wanted. The yeah. bullet isn't going to curve. This is... One angle. Yep. This is 180 degrees of someone getting shot. Yep. Absolutely. So there's a there's so much more room for air. It's a it's anachronistic and it's really stupid because it's a very dangerous way to pull it out. There were concerns that he was going to shoot himself in the arm with blanks, like Sarah had shot herself in the foot. The, Hannah was legitimately concerned he was going to yank this gun out and shoot himself because it's a stupid place to put the gun. And they had discussed a number of times, like, well, how are we going to fix it? And they couldn't even fix the holster. They talked about adding an additional leather strap or something like that. They couldn't secure it because he didn't go to a fitting and do it then. He decided last minute after they had already shot him, you know, on film, on a set that's in a tremendous hurry. This is a Clint Eastwood style one take. That's it. They're not going to go back for continuity's sake because people on the internet, for the same reason you have to use dummy bullets in these guns in the first place, the same hyper-realistic historic nerds are going to be upset that he's using or that his costume changes throughout the film. So because it wasn't there in a fitting and because he made that decision afterwards, they couldn't do anything to better secure this really flimsy anachronistic holster. And I am 100%, as you can tell by the passion in my voice, of the opinion that that played a huge role in Helena being struck. Because that's incredibly dangerous. It's You went from not, not in the script, he was just going to pull the gun up. You went from this shot, pulling a gun out of a holster, never pointing it at a camera, to swinging it across the room. Yeah. And you're going to act like that's not more dangerous? Listen, buddy, if you don't want to like guns, that's one thing, but you got to have respect for them. And that, to me, screams, I don't have respect, A, not only for this gun, but for the people who are in charge of this gun and the people in this room. I get that there shouldn't have been a live round in that gun. I 100% agree with that. No one disagrees with that. No. However... You, there are ways to handle firearms, as Hannah has pointed out, that are loaded and hot, yes. that are much safer. And what he did, as we now know based on this lawsuit and the information we've been given from our sources close to the case, was incredibly dangerous and probably led to the actual shooting uh, more so, or at least the shooting being fatal. Yeah. So if that's the case, that means that Baldwin took a case that even if Seth's idea was, or Sarah's idea was, you know, we're going to... Sh- Maybe it's an IATSE scheme. Maybe it's a, a plot to get people to pay better attention, to make sure things are safer. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a headhunt on the reeds. But either way, it could have been a significantly less dangerous accident that Baldwin may have exasperated specifically because, or exacerbated, yeah. <laughs> that Baldwin may have made worse specifically because he decided to yank it out of this shoulder holster that wasn't even properly tied to his body because it couldn't be, it wasn't secured because he didn't go to a costume fitting for it. Yeah. He just showed up late on set and said, no, I want to do a shoulder holster. Yeah, if if anything, this case is, even if it wasn't sabotage or setup or anything like that, it comes down to just gross negligence Yeah, on multiple people's parts and then everyone pushing the blame on the lowest person on the totem pole. Absolutely. The youngest, most inexperienced person, which as a young, inexperienced person, I don't mean that as an insult whatsoever, but it's like you have four, possibly five people that are well-known and well-respected in their positions that all have fucked up at this point to the point where two people are now shot. One's dead. One's dead 
they're going to push the blame onto the person that's Little like... Little person on the totem pole. The easy scapegoat. It's just like this is a... After you listen to this episode uh, on Thanksgiving, go ahead and listen to our episode about the sinking of the uh, uh, Santa Maria. Yes. Uh, because that story, the reason the ship sunk is because they just decided to abdicate uh, the charge of the ship all the way down everybody fell asleep and asked another guy to do it till they yeah. got to a cabin boy who cabin knew nothing boy. about yeah and the ship sunk within half an hour i about said piloting a ship yeah. <laughs> look how much i know about piloting a ship yeah, you know right. uh, put me in charge of both see what happens i'm probably the captain sink. of this car <laughs> a honda pilot <laughs> um, they don't float <laughs> they can fly they can fly but yeah, um, but yeah so it's even if it isn't sabotage, which we kind of believe it is. it. I'll, here's what I'll say about, you know, we talked about this. We have been joking about uh, doing our own version of Mythbusters, but for conspiracy stuff. Because when we were younger, the thing that I know that when I was in high school, every single bet was settled immediately. Because yeah. it was like, oh, no, Mythbusters did it. Yeah. yeah no, no, no. It's been tested. Do you think I could hold a grenade for an hour? Uh, yes, Mythbusters says that you can. You will have intense hand cramps. Yeah. Um. yeah. So I, you know, I feel like some of these things kind of need to. There needs to be somebody to prove some of these things to be true. Um, but in this case, I don't know, man. I I think that there's a lot of room for subterfuge. Yes. I think that if you wanted to have sabotaged the reads Sabotage. or just the production company, whether it was aimed at Baldwin, no pun intended, aimed, uh, or whether it was directed at Reed. We can't necessarily say. I do say that I don't think that Reed is guilty. Uh, mm. She's been abundantly clear that she didn't bring live ammunition to the set. I don't think she's wrong about that. Seth provided the ammunition. And for all we know, Seth fucked up and set a hot bullet in one of his boxes. There's nothing saying that that isn't the case. What's really questionable about the bullet is that it has a, it was a live bullet with a reloadable bullet's casing. Um, and that sort of screams malpractice. Yeah. Something happened there because that bullet, had, that bullet had to be made, and it was made with a Reed family casing. So there's a lot of questions there, and they all point towards Seth. Um, now, why Seth wanted to do it could be the lawsuit, could be just the general hatred he has seemingly for the Reed family or dislike for Hannah specifically. Um, but whoever is at blame here, and I think that there are a number of people, Wells is obviously accountable for this. I think that Sarah, the props lead, is responsible. I think that Baldwin, as the SAG ambassador and the person with the gun in his hand, is responsible. And the fucking executive producer. Yep. You are the boss baby of this shoot, yep. man. You are producing it. It is your production. It is absolutely like if we have business insurance, but if somebody came in the bar and got hurt, they could sue me. Not you. Me. Yeah. And that's because... I'm the executive producer of that movie. Yeah. And he has to understand the same responsibility. Yeah. So even in the face of negligence, he's been so quick to say, well, it wasn't me. It wasn't our fault. It wasn't, buddy, it was your fault. Um, at some point it was. Mm -hmm. I hate to tell you this, but uh, what is that saying? It's guns don't kill people. It's, well, you killed somebody and you did it with a gun. Yeah. And whether that bullet was sabotaged and put in there, you were accountable for it. Who wasn't accountable for it? I don't think Hannah was. Mm -hmm. She was put in a position not to be accountable for it. She was asked to prepare the weapon and then taken away from it and not given the opportunity to approach her weapon again before the shot. To say that that's her responsibility, I think, is dangerous. I think it's a little naive, and I think it's simplistic yeah. to say, oh, no, it's her fault. And you know what? I was saying it not a week ago. I really was because it made sense that it could have been negligence because everything that's been put towards us has been made clear to be on one side. Yeah. And we've had the opportunity to talk to people on the other side 
and get a better understanding of this. So what we ask is that you share this with your friends. Let us know what you think happened in the comments. Um, we don't think Hannah should be the one who gets blamed for this. There are a number of people who are responsible, but she's got a lot of bosses who should be taking the heat long before she should. And I believe her when she says that she didn't bring live ammunition to the set. Um, I don't think she had an interest in that. I think she loves her job, and I think she wanted to be able to do it forever. And I don't think that a person like that approaches a position like this. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know, man. It's a, it's a shitty situation and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out in court, but please share this with your friends, especially if they're talking about the case or if you have an interest in the case, watch both episodes so you can listen to the, Last week is a much more detailed episode about what specifically happened mm -hmm. and how it happened. And then today, obviously, sort of more of an exoneration and a better understanding of what actually happened that timeline that day. But yeah. all you need to know is that while Hannah had the gun in the morning, she dropped it off hours and hours before it got used, before Baldwin got on set and didn't touch it again until it was handed to her after the shooting. Yeah. I find it very hard to believe that she's responsible. Yep. And yeah. there's just too much room for subterfuge. So let us know. Let us know if you think it's Wells' fault. Do you think it's the props department? Do you think Seth Kenny did it? Do you think that, I don't know, it was somebody else? Maybe we'll get another theory in the comments yeah. and we're going to have to keep covering this next week. We <laughs> might just be the Rust shooting show now. Also, Alec Baldwin, uh, you kind of suck and uh, you're old, you're fat. And uh, don't sue us, please. Yeah. Thank you very much. Douchebag. Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, that means it's riddle time. Kendall. It is riddle time. Um, so last week's riddle was a man walks into a small town and decides to get a haircut. He visits the two shops in town. There's only two barbers. The first one, he walks in. Guy has a bad haircut. He's all dirty. His shop's all dirty. He's running all over the place, taking care of people. He goes in the second one. The dude has a nice haircut. His shop's clean, and he's just kind of standing there. He immediately makes up his mind. Who did he go to and why? He went to the first shop. Yeah, you go to this Jevil barber. He's the one with the shitty haircut. Yeah. There's only two guys who cut hair in town. Go to the guy who's got the bad haircut. Because the guy with the good haircut got it from him. Mm -hmm. uh, cobbler's children don't wear... What is it? Like a cobbler, a cobbler doesn't make his child... Somebody... Ex I'm not going to Google it. Just leave <laughs> it in the comments. I know I'm butchering it, but the cobbler doesn't... <laughs> Wear his own shoes, something like that. Oh. Cobbler's children. Somebody leave it in the comments. Anyway, pies can't wear shoes. <laughs> uh, uh, this week's you riddle. Know cobbler's actually uh, like a slur. I didn't. Yeah, because it infers that you cobble things together. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. Yeah, it actually came from uh, uh, the cocktail, the cobbler, and then eventually was used as a term for lesser quality shoemakers. I just thought it was a slur because of uh, the cobbler, the uh, Adam Sandler movie. Uh, where he has the magic soul stitcher that when he puts people's shoes on, he becomes them. Uh, famed people such as, I don't remember the movie, uh, Derek Jeter and also a zombie, I think. Wait, this is a real movie? This is a real fucking movie. I thought you were talking about the one where he has a remote. No, that's you remember Click. It wrong. <laughs> that's Click, and that movie makes me cry every time I watch it. Um, <laughs> no, The Cobbler is a real movie, and I'm pretty sure I just really accurate. And then it's like... Turns out to be some secret society. I don't... Watch watch The Cobbler if yeah. you get a chance. Um, this week's riddle is, what is seen in the middle of March and April that can't be seen at the beginning or end of either month? Ooh, I don't know. Let us know in the comments, guys. And uh, if you have anything else to say about the case, please, by all means, leave it. We're, we're probably going to sit here on it for the time being and see where it goes from here. But share with your friends and uh, let us know what you think. We'll see you next week. Love you guys. Enjoy the food holiday. Oh, yeah, that That's day. the only thing it should be known for is eating food. Enjoy your football game. <laughs>